Okay, our chapter for today that hopefully you've already read is Matthew chapter 17. Hopefully a very familiar chapter to you. We had the story of the transfiguration there, which we have thought about in Sunday school recently, um, about three Sundays ago. Um, but in it we have the story of Jesus' uh, transfiguration, um, some more healings, and just a, an interesting chapter altogether. So let's point out two or three things from Matthew 17. Uh, let's think about the glory of Jesus' transfiguration again um, that we have considered recently. The last chapter, as you remember yesterday, uh, ended with Jesus telling his disciples that they would not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, Matthew 16, 28. And I suggested to you that his words there were fulfilled in the main event in this chapter, the transfiguration. I mean, it's the very next story. And, and think about it, too. When Matthew wrote this gospel, he didn't have chapter and verse divisions. Those were added later. So uh, this was all, uh, if you take that out, you can just see it's all one story in his mind. Uh, so this is the fulfillment of that statement. Let me just, several things I want to point out about the transfiguration. First of all, it does show us very obviously something about the glory of Jesus. Um, verse 2 says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Not only that, but Moses and Elijah also appeared talking to Jesus in verse 3. And God the Father again spoke from heaven declaring his pleasure in the sun, verse 5, um, which reminds you also of what the Father said at Jesus' baptism in chapter 3. At the side of this, we're told that Peter, James, and John, quote, fell on their faces and were terrified, verse 6. I mean, <laughs> that's not, I can imagine that. You know, in, in, did you know that in the Old Testament, after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, his face shone brightly, it says in Exodus 34, because he had been in the presence of God. Well, here Jesus' face shone like the sun, not because he was in the presence of God like Moses had been, but because he was God. He is the real thing that uh, Moses foreshadowed. And that leads to the second thing to notice here, and that is the fact that Moses and Elijah here appear with Jesus in verse 3. Why? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, several interpretations have been offered, but I believe they're here because they represent here both the law of the Bible, represented by Moses, and the prophets, represented by Elijah. How the law and the prophets of the Old Testament both point forward to Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples at the very end of Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, 44, he, he tells them that, quote, everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So not only was Jesus showing the, the disciples his glory here, but he is showing him them his that his glory had been written about and prophesied for centuries in the Old Testament. Uh, one thing to notice quickly is where this story falls in the storyline of Matthew. Just sort of zoom out a little bit and, 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 and see the big picture of the Gospel of Matthew. Notice that this story comes right on the hill, heels of Jesus telling anyone who would come follow him that they must be ready to suffer and even die for his sake. That's in chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. I believe it shows that any suffering a child of God endures in this sinful world for the sake of Christ will be infinitely rewarded in glory. 
Jesus is revealing to Peter, James, and John and to us of the glory that we can look forward to. Even Jesus himself, Hebrews 12, 2 says, endured the cross, quote, for the joy that was set before him. That is an incredible hope. Here's the last thing to note about the transfiguration that has always struck me, and that is how, <laughs> it's interesting, how Peter and James and John knew that this was Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. I mean, how in the world did they know that? I mean, they had never met Moses or Elijah to know what they looked like. Uh, Moses and Elijah didn't have Instagram accounts that uh, lingered long after they were gone so they could see what they looked like. I mean, <laughs> they, they, um, they didn't know what Moses and Elijah looked like. And I doubt when they appeared with Jesus that they were wearing name tags. Hello, my name is Elijah. <laughs> so how in the world did they know who it was? Well, it may be conjecture. But I believe that uh, since Jesus was giving them a foretaste of, uh, of what they will experience when they experience uh, Christ coming again in his kingdom, uh, that Peter, James, and John were getting a taste of what Paul talks about when he says, that in that when that day comes, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. First Corinthians thirteen twelve. In other words, not only will we know the Lord, we'll know each other. When Jesus revealed His glory to them, they experienced that that phenomenon and simply knew that this was a Mo, this was Moses and this was Elijah. That's just an awesome glimpse of what the Christian has to look forward to uh, in glory. All right, so let's move on from the transfiguration. And another thing we find in this chapter is that Jesus again foretells his death and resurrection. After Jesus rebuked his disciples and others for their lack of faith, um, in verses 14 through 20, um, Jesus again foretold his death and resurrection in verses 22 and 23. Um, there is no mistaking what the main event in the, are, is in these gospel accounts. Everything is leading to the death and resurrection of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus still in this gospel, I mean 17 chapters in, the focus is still on what the angel told Joseph in a dream before Jesus was ever born. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That mission will lead Jesus to a cross after which he would rise again when payment for their sins had been made in full. There's a reason why some people have said that the Gospels are really passion narratives with extended introductions. Passion meaning what he did on the cross. They are really, uh, they're really the Gospels are really just a, an account of what happened on the cross with extended introductions. The focal point of these uh, Gospels are the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Finally, I want to say a word about this funny little story at the end of the chapter about the temple tax. I guess you could say money really does grow on trees for Jesus, or at least in fish. Um, this has to be, I'll just go ahead and say it for me at least, this is one of the coolest stories in the Bible. The, the tax collector approaches Peter to pay the half shekel tax in verse 24, and he questions whether or not Jesus would pay it. Well, um, it was Jesus' expressed will in Mark twelve seventeen to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But instead of turning to Judas, who 
John 13 says, kept the money bag uh, to get the money required, Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish. <laughs> uh, yeah. So go catch a fish and open its mouth, Jesus said, and inside you will find enough money to pay your tax and mine. Seriously. If this doesn't give you confidence that the Lord is sovereign over everything that moves <laughs> and give you hope that he can work good in your situation out of the weirdest of situations, I do not know what will. This is officially one of the most awesome stories in the Bible, and there's not a whole lot more I can say about it. Jesus caused a shekel of money to be in a fish's mouth and caused that very fish to be caught by Peter's hook and not anybody else's. I mean, can you imagine what Peter was thinking in that moment? So I'll just leave it with this word. The next time you don't understand, just obey. <laughs> it will be the good thing to do. And that's Matthew chapter 17.